need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast where myself, Jeff, and Eric... Hey, it's Eric. How's it going? It's going well. We go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's films in chronological order. Uh, we are starting out the new year. was well, last week. But uh, yeah, we're still in the new year. And uh, how are you doing today, sir? I, I am well. I am well. It is a freezing, cold, crisp Ohio day here. Um, blue skies, 18 degrees. So oh, Good uh, Lord. So <laughs> I'm down in Florida, and it is 59 degrees with a blue sky. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. That sounds nice. That's about as, about as cold as it gets. Um, so we watched War of the Worlds from 2005, starring Tom Cruise, Dakota Fanning, Tim Robbins, um, and that's all your big big names. Yeah, yeah. Dakota Fanning as 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 a child. It's kind of funny. Like I've, I've at this point, I've gotten used to seeing her as a grown up, and uh, I kind of like to the point where I f- kind of forget that she started as a child star. Um, and really, as far as like things that I watch go, uh, Dakota has kind of faded to the background and l fanning has become my fanning of choice i don't i don't know who l fanning is oh, she's, I'll have to look. she's wonderful. i probably would recognize her but she looks a lot like dakota fanning <laughs> <laughs> it's dakota's it's dakota's younger sister and she is in uh well i think the first thing i saw her in was super eight yeah, and, uh, which I would love to do as a bonus episode here one of these weeks. We're getting ah, on we towards that, that time happen. frame. It's, it's been a while since we've done a bonus. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and she's on The Great on Hulu, which is just, it's really one of the best television shows going right now. It's hysterical. She played Mary Shelley in the film Mary Shelley. Yeah. So with Dakota, though, uh, I'm trying to think of what, what else I saw her in as a kid. Like, she was in that Sean Penn movie. Uh, I am Sam, right? Was that her? I don't. I've never seen I am Sam. Uh, I'll look through her IMDb, but I I feel like this is the the introduction for me um, yeah, to Dakota Fanning. Me too. Yeah, and of course I saw her in other stuff as as she got older. She's in that uh, Cherry Bomb movie about Joan Jett and the Blackheart. No, is it? No, it's not the Blackhearts. This is why you come to this podcast for right. maybe facts. <laughs> Possibly facts. <laughs> Anyhow, used to seeing her as an adult. Interesting to see her as a kid. You know. Yeah, but to and again, I still think that this is my real introduction uh, to her. And I think um, well, she was in the Cat in the Hat movie. Oh yeah, that's a terrible movie. Uh, she was in Charlotte's Web. That's all right. Yeah, uh, that's how, about it. How How old do you think she was? filming this uh nine nine or ten maybe eleven you think maybe. so i i i'm not good with ages like i could probably find out let's see oh five was the film and she was born 94 so nine eight eleven i was right 
right? <laughs> eleven. <laughs> Math. Math skills. Yeah, yeah, eleven. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I have a, a nine year old daughter <clears throat> and she is pretty Dakota fanning y. Like she has blonde hair, she has blue eyes, she's nine, she's about that age. And uh it, it was it was fun watching this movie because I related to this kid so much more than I had in the past, just because I have a daughter that kind of looks like that and is kind of that age. And, uh, you know, like before, I think when I watch it, I would find the scenes where Rachel, the character where she flips out and just starts screaming. I would, I would find them a little bit like, gosh, she's irritating and that's kind of like not believable and you know like that kid should be holding it together a little better but now like having a kid that age I could easily see my daughter becoming overwhelmed by this situation and just flipping out you know like absolutely it is aliens right I mean it's not like the toilet's clogged Ah! right it is aliens there are people dying all over the place and you know like i i i kind of like the way that tom cruise handles her in certain situations although it's terrifying when when he's just like i'm gonna put this blindfold on you so you don't see what happens or you just look at me and don't look around you know trying to shield her a little bit from from what's going on when ultimately he can't you know, like ultimately this kid has to face what's happening, you know, one way or another. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty decent representation of a kid in a heinous situation. I thought. Yeah. I, I, I think she's spectacular. It's another child acting in a Spielberg movie that just excels and feels completely genuine. Yeah, so, she I, never I, she never rings false. Like right. I, I never, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so had, I, I know that you've seen this before, and uh, what's your history with War of the Worlds? Yeah, this is this is like Minority Report for us. This is another family favorite. So, um, my wife and I went and saw this in the theater. I think when we were probably first dating, and uh, and then you know to watch it many times on DVD. And and uh, probably Blu-ray at some point. It's probably around here somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's it's a film we revisit about every three or four years. So this is maybe my eighth time seeing it, ninth time. So like I've seen it a lot, you know. Yeah. Uh, but again, as usual, it's been a while. You know, like streaming really does kick in and flood you with content. And so you don't often revisit some of these things as much as as you think you should. So uh, it was really, really good and fun to watch it again and and to see just how much it still holds up, you know. Yeah. So when you first saw it, how did you feel about the ending? (sighs) If you can think back that far. Yeah, when I first saw it, I didn't have teenagers. Um, I hadn't been through having teenagers. Uh, So I found Robbie to be real irritating and unrealistic. And uh, and then when he comes back at the end like that, I think it was an eye roller for me. It wasn't enough to ruin the movie. Like, I'm not the guy that ending sucks and it ruins the whole movie. No, that, that movie is bonkers good you know like so the ending doesn't kill it for me um or didn't kill it for me but i do think that uh i i had a 
an aversion to that. Like, it just felt like, oh, how the hell did that happen? Like, how did he get there? Come on. Like, there was napalm going on down there. Like, how did he survive that? Now, as I've gotten older and as I've experienced teenagehood from a dad's perspective, a lot more of what goes on with Robbie rings true to me. Um, so I, I don't have as many problems with like the character, the end itself. I discovered in research for this podcast is a reflection of the ending of the book. Um, it, yes. it's, it's something that, Cause that was more of what I was asking with the, the whole, uh, viruses and how the, the aliens ended up being defeated, if you will, which they weren't really defeated so much as they just died. Yeah. But, Oh, so you were asking about the aliens dying? Uh, yeah, like from the, so. The, the, I thought you the, were talking about Robbie specifically because like, I, that's, I that's, hadn't even thought about that being that problematic. But that's where it, most people like pitch a fit. Is is really? The it's not over the the viruses, even though I know that that's in the book. Um, no, but it's it, the thing that people are like. It just ends, you know. Like they just stop being no, a problem. Yeah, I I was well familiar with War of the Worlds conceptually. Um, like going into this so i fully expected the viruses you know like i knew that that was how it was going to resolve it's just a matter of like how tom cruise was going to scurry around on the ground avoiding them until they just croaked um so yeah i mean like i i I think i probably read the book as a kid i definitely read comic book adaptations as a kid i listened to the entirety of the hg wells or Orson Welles radio special on vinyl. I would get it out of the library and listen to it as a kid. On vinyl. You never cease to amaze me with the way you try to take in content. <laughs> you listen to a radio show on vinyl. Well, back then, this is this is like pre-cassette times, you know? or like Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Like, you would go and get records out of the library, like the way you pull out books and DVDs now. So, yeah. Um uh, so yeah, I, I was I was pretty well versed on where the world's going in. So no, the the viruses didn't the, the virus didn't you know bother me a bit at all. Yeah, you know I was pretty pretty happy with the way that whole thing played out. Yeah, I I remember it being like okay, well it's right out of the book. It, you know they are defeated. There isn't any uh, sort of independence day moment where they fly on the ship and they they attack like at independence day they fight and win right you know and this is just outlasting the the aliens yeah so like i i felt very much like this was a really cool approach to this story and apple apple plus did a tv show last year that tried a similar approach to alien invasion like people on the ground not knowing what's going on and it's not their responsibility to figure it out and that show sucked like it was boring but yeah uh but this this uh was a much more exciting take on it like i loved that tom cruise wasn't trying to figure out what was happening you know like it it was like he was just a dude trying to save his kids in many ways uh tom cruise and his daughter's dynamic reminded me of that family in saving private ryan who's in that half a house there Mm -hmm. you know trying to get vin diesel to save their daughter uh because they are just they're just trying to survive and there's this madness going on around them and they're just like trying to get through the day without getting killed and uh so i thought it was a, a really cool take like if if tom cruise had been in the 
Brad Pitt World War Z position where he's like globe trotting and trying to figure the stuff out and so on. Yeah. I think I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. Like I really like the everyman on the ground, like just barely figuring things out enough to stay alive. Like I, I ducking around the corner at the last second so he doesn't get laser blasted into dust, you know, like I, I was I was very into the approach and I thought it was it was really smart to keep all those damn scientists and all those damn yeah. government guys with their keys and like collapsing skyscrapers, keep all that shit out of this movie and just keep it really grounded while lunacy is happening around them, of course. But like, and you still get set pieces. You you do. It yeah. just feels so much more original and different. Like this movie is what just seventeen years old, and it still felt like really original and different watching it this time. Like you're really stricken by, Oh, I haven't seen that before. You know, like, and it's not, you know, the statue of Liberty blowing up or the white house blowing up or the Chrysler building blowing up, you know, instead it's like, Oh damn. Like there's people on this ferry and it's flipping over and like there's stakes to this stuff, you know, like the moment when the train comes whizzing by on the track on, fire, on yeah. fire, it's like, the, it's like it's full of these like, Oh shit moments. That's where it's, a really good moment. Yeah. It's not just spectacle, you know, like it, it really like helps kind of heighten the idea that like things are spinning out of control you know and they they might not make it through this like humanity might not make it through this um yeah so yeah i really really dig it i I really like this movie yeah and uh and i think that it does balance the struggle between the aliens and also the struggle between other humans right and adding that element to it as well as like just trying to survive and what people are willing to do to hurt other people to survive, you know, and that element and stuff. And, and the balance of like uh, Tom Cruise in the car with his family, like I can't, I can't get anybody else on the, in the car. I'm sorry. I can't help you. Cause if I take one, I have to take all and it's just going to, Nope, not going to do it. But then when they get on the boat, he's like, there's plenty of room. There's more room. We could get more people on here. And the guard's like, no, we got to go. We got to go. You know, like he, like once his family is safe, he's like, we can help these people. They're like, no, damn it. I hadn't really noticed like how quick that flip happens in him. But you're right. It's like yeah. it's one scene into the next, you know, like the, the scene where they're in the car and everybody's swarming the car. It kind of made me think of like what it's like when somebody's drowning and like somebody who can swim gets close to them and they like claw up them trying to get to that. Like, that's what those people reminded me of. Like, like they're almost zombie like in there, like let us in, you know, like banging mm-hmm. on the car, you know, and it, like they're, they're drowning. Like they, they see this as a sign of like safety or transport or g- getting to safety quicker. God knows where they think they're going. That's going to be safe, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, but you're right. He does immediately flip, you know, flip sides on that issue. Uh, and and then it doesn't the, feel the false in- either. It doesn't feel like to me because they are different situations. So it doesn't feel like a inconsistent character. It it is a situation where one, you know, he would be in the car. He's only looking at his family. And then once he has his family on the boat, he's like, there is more room. And there is, 
but the operators of the boat just like, we got to cut it off at some point. We got to go, right? And so I, I like that. I thought it was interesting. So I saw this in theaters. I was I remember really looking forward to it, uh, and I enjoyed it. And I do remember the ending kind of falling a little flat, which, like you said, though, it's in the book. It's kind of what I should have expected. Um, but rewatching this is, I think, my only the second time I've watched this. And I think knowing the ending going in makes the movie better. Like, I know that the I know that the aliens are just going to kind of die because of the viruses and I'm over it now, right? That being sort of not a typical Hollywood finale. I can just sit and watch the drama of this family and Tom Cruise and just enjoy it, knowing the ending and not worried about being bummed out about it. And I think it made it a better experience. I think this is a superb action movie of... uh, being a special effects showcase along with having the family element, great acting, incredible camera work. Um, like so many moments in this that are, I really like, like when they're driving the van down the highway and they're having the conversation, the camera goes in the van and goes out of the van oh. and scrolls around and then back in the van. Yes. Loved that. Yes. I actually commented out loud on that uh, to my wife because I, Sometimes I don't know. She probably notices, and she knows that I'm just a sucker for that stuff. But I still can't yeah. help. I still can't help myself and be like, "Oh, did you see that?" And like when that happened, with the camera zipping around the van like that, I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like I don't know how many viewers realize what a spectacular feat that shot is, but yeah. like it reminded me, you know, like all the way back to Duel. You know, like we've been talking about how Duel camera, good shit, yeah. how camera, how Spielberg <laughs> films people in cars you know and but this was a god only knows what kind of rig they had on that thing like i was picturing almost like a big structure at the on top of the car with the camera hanging off of it to kind of zip around it but it could have been like for all i know it's a guy laying on his back on a two by four with wheels on it you know they were dragging like i have no idea how they pulled it off i'm sure there's some cg magic um in maybe, there too maybe because there's a couple transitions when they go through the window back into the car that i'm like Ooh, that had a little bit of a seam to it but um i could be wrong but that's just to, what I'll i need felt. to watch it again but regardless that that sequence is spectacular um yeah and another another spectacular scene like so so much and it's packed a lot of it into the early part of the movie before it kind of slows down in the tim robbins section for a little bit uh, but the scene where they're first in the van and they're driving away and that highway behind them, you know, is collapsing and those tankers are falling and like, it's just pure chaos. Like you've seen this done in other movies before. Like I'm thinking in terms of like 2012, which I enjoy. Oh. It's a fun movie, no, but, but go ahead. But, I mean, you, you're allowed to like it, but no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's certainly not done as well or as impactfully as this, this. Is, to me is the best it's not really a disaster movie but it kind of is it's like this and greenland are kind of like to me how you do a disaster movie greenland is good yeah yeah that's a good one i love also the part where before the big tripod comes out of the ground at the beginning 
uh, when the earthquake is first kind of shaking through, there's this shot where there's a church and the side of the church starts cracking up the mm-hmm. side. And then the whole front of the church just starts sliding off sideways and it's intact. It's almost like somebody split the church and this, this piece of it is just sliding off sideways with whatever, I don't know, it's not a tectonic plate cause it's not really an earthquake, but right. uh, it's just a spectacular image. And then the steeple falls off of it. And these are like, they're smaller buildings they're smaller moments, but because we're on the ground level with the people there, it feels so much more impactful than watching the the entirety of L.A. slide into the ocean. You know, like it just it feels much more uh, personal, you know, when, when these people get zapped because they're right down there with our main character, you know. Um, yeah. Whew, good times. Good I also, times. I like how long. I I like the sort of sense of wonder at the beginning, especially like Tom Cruise's character for the most part is like, isn't this cool? Like he's not really afraid. He's kind of out in the storm, almost laughing um, at how startling it is. And then after the lightning storm passes, he's out on the street and they're looking around at all the buildings and everybody in the neighborhood's like, oh, did you see that? Like the mechanic, he's like, hey, Jimmy, whatever, you know, and they're talking about it. And it just felt like, uh, like not a big deal. I mean, kind of cool spectacle. Like, wasn't that weird? But they're kind of having fun until the monster comes out of the ground and starts slaying things, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's just kind of like, it's an interesting sort of weird natural phenomenon to them. It's a party at first. Yeah. I, one of my notes, I had human curiosity versus a survival instinct. Um, in, in, I've got a, I've got a story to kind of go with this. So, uh, two, three weeks ago, I was in Las Vegas and, uh, my wife and our friends and I decided we were going to go check out Circus Circus, which is like the dumpiest casino on the strip. Like it is, it is crazy how seedy and weird it is. It almost feels like you walk through the doors into a Rob Zombie movie. Like, it is like oh, that, that level of like, Oh, what is going on in here? You know, like it's real weird. So we're, we're waiting at the crosswalk to cross the street to go into circus circus and out of the parking lot, this car comes ripping out of the parking lot, like 40 miles an hour tires squealing. And it comes out of the road where like towards the corner that we're waiting on. And there's a guy on the outside of the car hanging onto the steering wheel through the driver's window, right? And he's kind of like punching and they're going. And then a second car comes ripping out after them, chasing them. And so my mind, you know, you, you kind of like, it's not something you see every day. And your mind is kind of like, what's going on? Is this a show? Are they doing tricks? What's yeah. going on here? And then finally, like, it clicks like, oh, no, this is, this is probably bad. And so they come ripping around the corner onto the main drag of the strip. And at that point, the car with the guy on it decides it's going to try to, like, wipe him off. And so it, like, goes on to the median strip where there's palm trees and starts, like, wrecking them against the palm trees, right? And then the other car that's chasing them comes up behind and, like, traps them there on the median. And at that point, something clicked in my head and I was like yo, we got to get the fuck out of here. This is not the scene for us, right? Like, we got right. to go. And and so, like, I was thinking of that, watching these people standing in a circle around this hole in the ground, right? Like, because it seems like it takes an awful long time 
for these people to have that click in their head that says, oh, no, we got to get out of here. Like the, even the earthquake starts. And if you see, there's one shot of Tom Cruise taking a step back and he's still got this shit eating smile on his yeah. face. Like, like, this is cool, you know? And and like even after like those earthquake tendrils start spreading out further, they're still just like taking steps back and taping steps back. I think by then I would have torn ass out of there. Like, like it's clearly not the situation to be in. Like you it's time time to go. Time to go, everybody. It's time to go. And for a lot of these people, time to go doesn't kick in until it's like way too late. You know? Yeah. Um, I do like, so his son had stolen his sweet ride that he drives like an asshole. Oh, like, God, you know, he Tom Cruise like just coming home from work, whipping around the corner. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. And, it, it and then his family's his right there on the road. He's driving like an idiot. He could have slipped and ran them all over. He's an asshole. He's an asshole yeah. in this movie. But, yeah, he does drive like an asshole. But, anyhow, uh, we'll get to his assholiness later. You're talking about his son taking his car. Right, and then he, when he comes back after this e emp storm that shuts everything down except for one guy's video camera for some right? reason i don't right? know if that was on i that's, it was I, I don't think it was on purpose it was just one of those like if you're gonna make a point of saying everybody's shit is off it should why let that slide I it suspect, didn't even need to be there like I it suspect just felt, that that was product placement that's what I okay think that was but ours yeah. can survive an emp yeah, it was it was very uh, jarring in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but his son comes back, and I think even though you know Tom Cruise hasn't had any real change or story arc yet, he's still very much his son. Comes up, he's like, "Are you okay? Are you good? Are you okay?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Are you okay? I'm good. All right. If you touch my fucking car again, like you know, it. <laughs> I really appreciated that." Um, little piece of character work there from Tom Cruise's character that I do care about my kids. I'm going to make sure they're safe. You're good. You're sure. You fucking piece of shit. You swear my car. <laughs> like uh, I really appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, so I think I think we do have to talk about Ray and Ray's character and uh his relationship now, with his kids real quick did you notice that they call him ray but also dakota fanning's character is rachel and her brother often refers to her as ray oh i did not know yeah like they're saying good night to each other he goes and she's like all right good night whatever robbie and, all right good night ray and you're just like who's ray minor minor thing but yeah, yeah, yeah. Notable, at least. So, so Ray, we don't know what what the past situation here is. Ray was probably married to the kid's mom at some point. She finally got wise and divorced Ray, and Play, played by Miranda Otto, also known as Arwen. Oh, really? Not, is that her? Not Awen. Arwen, one of the two. Okay, the uh, from Lord of the Rings, not. You know, Liv Tyler, but... The other one. The other one. Not Kate Blanchett. I don't know those movies well enough to... Yeah. uh, Yeah, I don't know. So, okay, so so Ray is a divorced dad. And it is clear that when he and his wife were together, he had zero, zero 
stakes in keeping these kids alive, right? He doesn't know how to make a goddamn peanut butter sandwich. Like, he doesn't have any doesn't food. Doesn't he? I no. think he was about to come up with one. With a wooden spoon and the goopiest well, he peanut had what butter he had. I've ever seen. Man, they're in a kitchen. They're in a kitchen. Only, why didn't they look for other food <laughs> in that kitchen? Why didn't they look for other food yeah, in the that's kitchen? True. Yeah, it was just nonsense. Just Steven Spielberg kitchen scenes make me mad. But uh, <laughs> shades of the woman in always making the mess. These people are just lose their minds yeah, that, in the kitchen. That's different. This but, one is okay. at least in a situation. The bottom line is is that his his ex wife doesn't trust him enough to take care of the kids so much that she comes in and does like a home inspection dropping the kids off which as a divorced dad not currently divorced but i have been married previously you have an ex and divorced that uh, you have children with yes had my ex come into my space and done what she did in this movie that's its own war of the world's invasion right there like it would have been like what the hell do you think you're doing like i would never do that unless I was invited in but she just walks right in and the whole time he's like wait I got it wait no I got it I got it. stop you know and she just looking in the fridge checking out the kids room judging smelling him about the, the engine yes yeah, smelling the milk but it does seem that in this case she does have reason to do so because this guy doesn't have the slightest clue as to how to keep these kids alive and, and they know it like the kids know it they know that Ray is useless to the point where they openly are like, like the, I think the most telling scene about the interpersonal relationships between this little family unit is the moment, the first time Robbie says he's going to take off and the little girl says, Robbie, where were you going? What were you going to do? Who's going to take care of me? Yeah. Right. Like right in front of her dad, who's going to take care of me? Because he clearly, at, at least at the beginning of the movie, cannot do it. Like he he is uh, not capable nor interested in getting to know his kids or, you know, like doing even the slightest bit of work to take care of them. You know, instead of providing dinner, he tells him to order food and then he bitches about what they order. You know, (laughs) he's just not. Well, I if I had all hey son, order some food and I get there and he gets a dang vegan meal. I'm going to have problems. I love I'm gonna have well, it wasn't, hey. they weren't even ordering for him. Like, uh, well, that I get, but I'm he just went to like, bed. <laughs> yeah, fair. But watching his evolution over the course of the film, from completely disengaged dad to dad who is willing to throw himself into the gullet of one of these tripods to save his daughter, um. It, it, a very interesting character arc and like i wonder how much of it is an arc and how much of it was like in there all the time it just never had the chance to come out it's like that uh never had to knock on wood song right mm-hmm. like like he's never had to now he has to and it turns out that he had he was it was in there all along this parental instinct is very latent in him but when it kicks in it kicks in you know yeah um so yeah i really i really uh enjoy the arc and and i also enjoy the way that his kids don't trust him even even after it kicks in i'm just like fuck you you know like yeah he, he's trying to keep them safe and they're just like whatever dude loser get out of yeah. here 
yeah so pretty cool yeah it it, it is a good dynamic i think um so I'm trying to think of where we're going. So I guess we get to Tim Robbins. Um, but before that, I guess we got to talk about Robbie um, and his bizarre arc. Like, so Robbie, of course, is the delinquent's probably not the right word, but he's certainly rebellious against his father and takes the car and all that. But then, like, partway through the, you know, we see how much he cares about his sister and he's capable of calming her down. She deals with anxiety attacks and he's able to do the practice to calm her down. Even when dad Ray tries to do the same thing like that. No, no dumbass. Um, but you know, and that, so Robbie's a good big brother, but kind of a, you know, not too high on Ray, but also calls him Ray, not dad. You know, that's sort of like, okay, well-worn ground here but then there's the moment where he's on the boat and Robbie climbs the the end of the boat the gate that's tipping up to help people get on the boat that his dad looks at him like with some pride but the whole thing is him wanting to go to war essentially like we need to take it to the aliens they they destroyed our house and threatened our loved ones we're going to take it to the aliens and he tries to join the military. And then there's, of course, the scene on the hill where he's trying to run off to go fight the aliens or at least say, I got to see this. And Ray has to choose between holding his son in place to keep him from running off to battle or saving his daughter who is being not abducted, but essentially abducted by two well-meaning people who just see a kid on their own thinking, hey, you need someone that can take care of you. Um, you know, and I think a really good scene other than I, I'm not high on the whole I got to go to battle thing. It doesn't quite work for me, but I do like this the struggle of seeing these well-meaning parents take the kid off. And yeah. that sort of struggle of I got to go get my kid back, even though. You know, she's telling them, no, my dad's right there. And they're like, no. So there's kind of a, it, it. I think it's a good scene. There are some things where I'm like, she's literally pointing at her dad. He's right there. It is Leave definitely a scene constructed to serve the story, right? Yeah. Like you got to get rid of Robbie. You got to, you know, like create a dynamic where he has to choose between the two. That said, I do. I think it's a pretty well constructed scene. Um yeah, with Robbie, I don't know. Like, first of all, do you think that Robbie's right? Do you think that Ray just wants to get them to Boston to dump them on their mom so that he doesn't have to take care of them? I think Ray also thinks that mom knows better than him. Like, <laughs> I think more <laughs> like, true, yeah. let's get to your mom's, your, your surrogate father there. He's pretty good. He knows what he's doing. They can I take care of all there, of us. <laughs> I think there is an element of, I don't think he wants to dump them off so much as like, because I think he gets there and he gets his kids safe. I don't think he runs off, right? Yeah, he's almost pool, pools, pooling of resources maybe, you know, like because he's definitely or, good in a tough moment, right? Yeah. Like he's got scrappiness think, that perhaps the others don't. I think there's an element of, yeah, your mom is a better parent than me too. Like, you're better off with your mom. I don't know that it's fully a selfish, I don't want to deal with these kids. 
well, I situation like it at is, all. It's sort of like an obligation. Like he doesn't hate the mom, right? right? Like they have moments of kindness between them, even though she's invading his space. Like he doesn't really strongly hate her. So he might have like a feeling of obligation too. Like, you know, I've, I've got to get the kids back to their mom for her sake, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I think, um, but yeah, I I don't feel like it's fully what Robbie's saying. I don't think he's just trying to offload the kids. No, I, I was surprised that he decided that Boston was like a safe destination, especially after talking to the newswoman who's like, New York went dark, San Francisco went dark, London yeah. went dark. Like Boston is a pretty major metropolitan area, you know, like to take your kids strolling into Boston, you know, you know. and of course, once they get to that specific place, it turns out that this block is untouched by the war, which again you know happens in the war and it happens in the book like it's something that's drawn directly from the book like he he goes and he to find his wife and there she is and she's in this area that's like relatively unscathed um but it it like if people don't know that that scene can feel a little false um but robbie uh i don't know like i i read it differently this time having been through teenage years with my sons you know and then thinking back on my own teenage years and, and the ways that I separated myself from the authority of my parents. I think I've shared with you before. I was on my own for like the last part of my teenage years. Yeah. And it created a weird dynamic kind of similar to Ray and Robbie where they would occasionally see me. You know, like I would go spend a weekend with my dad having been on my own for two months. And then my dad would try to dad. And I'd feel like, dude, what? Like, no, like this isn't, this is not happening between us. And that kind of feels similar to what's happening yeah. here with Robbie and Ray. Like, don't even try it, dog. Like, this is over, you know, like we can have a relationship, but you're not going to tell me what to do. Um, and I also feel like it, uh, uh, something I've been kind of dealing with in my personal life that I won't get into the details on it's difficult to tell the next generation like even if you know you're right and you know you're telling them something that's good for them to try to guide them into not making mistakes is one of the most difficult things because they're old enough that they have their own mindset and they they have their own priorities and their own motivations and and damn it, they just don't want to listen, you know? And and you're like, no, you're making a mistake. Just stop. You're, 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 I, I know because I made this mistake and you're making the same mistake. And at a certain point, you do just have to pull back and be like, all right, you got to do it. You got to go make your mistake and figure it out for yourself. Yeah. And then, and then you know, come back and we'll talk. Well, Dad um, did know what he was talking about. So in many ways, I feel like kind of that's the situation that Ray's in with Robbie. Like, like, dude, and, and unfortunately, this is a situation of life and death, you know, like this kid really wants to go fight. And in this situation, it's not like a slowly escalating war between different countries and he wants to go volunteer for the army and serve in the infantry. It's all happening right now, and it happens very quickly. And it's one of those situations where they probably would be like, everybody on board like ukraine style everybody on board we're doing it we're fighting you know um and so i I could see somebody of that age in particular making the decision that their personal safety doesn't matter 
and that they need to contribute to the effort to save the species, you know, like, and, and meanwhile, Ray has this conflicted priorities because he's like, no, I got, I got this 10 year old daughter. She's not going to join. He says this at one point, you know, like, do you have a plan that that doesn't involve your little 10 year old sister joining the army? Yeah. So like, who do you think is right though? I don't know if either of them are right. I, I do. I, when I was younger, I very much felt like Ray was right. I think now, in the long run, knowing everything that's going to happen, Ray is right because it is a waiting game to wait out the aliens. But yeah, but in there's the no way moment, either they of don't them know, could know that. it. Yeah, right. they they couldn't know that on the spot. Um, yeah, I, I definitely see the motivations of both characters much more clearly now and i understand more where robbie is coming from doesn't stop me from wanting to smack the shit out of him at certain points um but i i definitely can like see more of why he doesn't want to listen to his estranged father and he feels like he can make his own decisions and why he feels like he needs to contribute to the war effort even though the army guys themselves are like what the hell are you doing you know (laughs) yeah like what are you going to bring to the table yeah yeah so that's where I'm at on Robbie. So what about uh, Tim Robbins? So Tim, I remember being in the theater and Tim Robbins' face pops up on and it felt like a like it was supposed to be a oh, Tim Robbins. Like to me, like it was almost like I don't know what he was doing before, but for me, like I only really know him from like Shawshank and what's the one he did with Martin Lawrence? Um Oh, that's great. There's a spider on your head. Uh, nothing to lose. Yeah, nothing to lose. Like, I only know him from those. And so he shows them. I'm like, okay, Tim Rob. But it the way the movie worked it, because his face is ob- ob- uh, obscured. You know, you see him from behind. And he's like, come over here. Get in my basement. And they get in the basement. And his face is shrouded. And then it, he walks in the light. And you see it's Tim Robbins. And you're like, okay, it's Tim Robbins. Like, I don't yeah. know. Was there more to that? Like, like this was his big return to cinema? No, no. I like, he was he was a pretty well-known entity at that point. That was around Hudsucker Proxy and, like you said, Shawshank. So he was, like, a pretty big, well-known actor at that point. It was kind of like uh, Ted Danson showing up in Saving Private Ryan, <laughs> although a bigger a bigger part for Tim Robbins than, than Ted Danson had. Don't tell me about Ted Danson. So I was reading... Uh, I was reading a bunch of stuff about this movie and one person commented that they felt like it was hinted at that Tim Robbins character was a pedophile, which I was kind of like, Oh, I didn't get that. Then I kind of thought about it for a second. I was like, eh, maybe, you know, like how do all those people running? He does save the guy with the daughter and he does have a few creepy moments with the daughter enough so that Tom Cruise is like, Hey, 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 you talk to me. You don't talk to her, you know. Yeah, there are two moments. The one being, why are the only people you called over the guy with the girl? Yeah. And the other one is when they're sitting on the steps and he he says, if something happens to your dad, I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry. And that's where Tom Cruise steps up. is like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Like, no. Yeah, I don't know you that well, buddy. I had never even thought of that before. Like, I just thought it was like, oh, this guy is like being too forward with my daughter who I'm protecting. Like I never thought of it in terms of like some weird, creepy sexual thing. I don't, and, and I don't I, think there's enough there to, 
say that for certain. Like, because I don't, there are, outside of those two moments, there's not a lot of him trying to get himself alone with her right, or right. anything like that. Like, I think, and most of his actions and his conversation and time is spent with Tom Cruise. Um, so I, it, I guess I don't know why he called just them over. Or if they just happen to be nearby and he right, saw it was them. just chance, maybe. I yeah. But I don't, I mean, yes, there is. I think that the thing with him sitting on the steps next to her saying, I'll take care of you. I, I wonder if it is him just sort of trying to comfort her saying, hey, I have a little girl that reminded me of you. And I know what I'm doing. I'll take care of you. Because he kind of sees Tom Cruise as like this coward. Yeah, and, yeah, um, and, and then maybe he's just being too familiar, you know, and making assumptions, uh, and that's why Tom Cruise responds the way he does. I, and Tom Cruise does what I would, hey, shut the fuck up, you know, like, because in Tom Cruise's place, I don't know this dude, why are you talking to my daughter like I'm gonna die? Yeah. All right, that's enough with you. Like, <laughs> That's enough with you. <laughs> you, yeah. you and me aren't exactly on the same page. Yeah, yeah I... I, I uh, it, it, it's cool to watch Tim Robbins go from, oh, okay, he's saving us. Oh, he's a little wacky. He's a little wacky to like, oh, he's going to get us killed. You yeah. know, like, um, and, and you can kind of see in this situation how anybody would lose their mind. Like we were talking about Dakota Fanning and her anxiety attacks and flip outs. And you can, you can see how anybody would progressively go more and more, you know, as they're seeing people sucked up into these things and disintegrated and sprayed back out as blood, which fertilizes the weird plant and the terraforming. Like you can see how people would go nuts, right? Right. Uh, Especially but, when he's looking out the window and there's blood shooting in his face. Yes. Right before he has his final breakdown. It's cool how hardcore this movie is, even though it's PG-13. Like, there's some pretty, like, rough stuff in this movie. But, uh, yeah, so do you think when Tom Cruise makes the decision to go and kill him, do you feel like he was justified to do so? Uh... Like, I'm surprised it didn't pop off after the aliens left the basement. Like, Yeah, I, mean, I think it, it had it happened in that moment, it would have made a lot more sense to me. In this moment where he's like, shut up. Don't you realize what I have to do? If you don't shut up, I got to protect my daughter. So I don't, I think the real problem with it is, I mean, it comes with that iconic thing of him tying her uh, blindfold on, telling her to sing her lullaby. And then he goes in the room and closes the door behind him and you don't really hear much. And that's an effective moment. But then like they cut to like, the next day and they're already having to leave the house anyway you know but of course if he's still alive does he get them killed you know so i feel like maybe he could have grabbed the shovel and ko'd him and then maybe tied him up or something but throw a gag in his mouth yeah. uh, I, I don't know that murder was the f the right answer but i do think something had to be done you know, I don't yeah. know. Maybe had he got the shotgun, he could have been like, hey, I'm in charge now. I don't know. Maybe I just I just think that murder is a pretty big step. And <laughs> I think you need to be pretty certain of what you're doing at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, again, like we've talked about with other films, heightened circumstances, you know, yeah. and you never know what you're going to do until you're in those heightened circumstances. And, and he does feel like it's a life or death situation. And he's got this loose cannon there, you know, and at certain some certain point, you're either going to, I don't know, tighten up the loose cannon or throw it overboard. And he throws it overboard. So, yeah. 
So yeah, uh, uh, go ahead. Oh, that was it. I was going to try to segue, and you were going to segue. So let's. I'll let you do it. Go ahead. No, I, 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 uh, I, I just wanted to kind of talk briefly about the part where Tom Cruise does let himself be, uh, be captured to save his daughter. Okay. And um, so I was thinking, you know, like there's a lot of metaphor in this movie. You know, like you can draw parallels between the aliens and 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 the people, you know, with existing things in, in history. So I was thinking through that and I was thinking like some of the parallels are like the aliens are the white Europeans and the people are the, the Native Americans. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, coming in like just basically coming in and just like wiping the floor with with a population with a lesser technology and uh you know, just behaving shittily. Another one is the European crusades into Muslim territories in the middle East, similar situation, you know, um, deforestation, you know, like, you know, tearing down the forest in order to, to put our own, I don't know, crops or whatever in there and so on. So I was thinking through that and I found this article, uh, on Forbes by a writer named Scott Mendelson, who I'm vaguely familiar with. He's on a few podcasts that I've listened to and so on. But listen to this. This is a really interesting comparison. The film's metaphorical intent can also be read as a look at the Iraqi invasion from the side of the Iraqi civilians. So this this was made during, you know, the George Bush Iraq situation, yeah. right? The film unveils its alien invasion entirely from the point of view of its blue-collar protagonist uh, and turns Americans into refugees in their own country. Furthermore, not only does Tim Robbins' traumatized survivalist speak in hushed tones about the inevitable failure of such applications, but Tom Cruise saves the day, or at least saves his daughter and a number of other abductees, by essentially becoming a suicide bomber. He allows himself to be captured and detonates grenades within the enemy vessel, and that he survives is merely happenstance. While understandably promoted as a 9-11 parable in the run-up to its release, War of the Worlds plays closer to an Iraqi citizen's perspective of an American invading and occupying force. That guy had a lot on his mind. He did, he did, but it did make me think about, like... How the United States lacks that perspective of what it's like to be invaded. Yeah. Right? Like, our culture right now, and that's that's part of what makes this film so compelling, is because our culture, we haven't had that for generations, you know? Like, Pearl Harbor in the 40s, but that was just like one, I mean, not to, not to downplay Pearl Harbor, but that was one tr- tragic moment you know that led us off into this giant war because we were so pissed off about it 9-11 tragic moment led us off into this war because we were so pissed off about it but there hasn't been a war fought on american soil against a a a, you know invading force since the revolutionary war right because the civil war was just us against us yeah um so like you have to wonder how the united states would respond to war and what a what a war on the mainland of the United States would look like and how individual civilians would react, you know? Um, because we haven't been on that side of the equation. We've been on the other side of the equation endlessly, right? Yeah. But we haven't been invaded. And, uh, you know, like, 
I don't know. It's just, it's weird to think about. Like our cities are so dense. Everybody has guns. There are these wide swaths of like just open unused land that any invading force would have to, to cut through. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just kind of, it, it made me really think about invaders versus invadees and, and what an interesting take this is on how the United States would be, would respond as an invadee, you know? Yeah, I get that. I, I didn't pick up on any of that. Like <laughs> maybe it's just my brain, but I also, we're so far removed from the Iraq one war that I just I, it never even dawns on me. I do think there is, for me, a little closer would be the natives of, you know, America or uh, Australia or any other place that Europeans have gone, um, displacing the existing people and just saying, this is what we're going to do. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I didn't really put that much thought into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, there are a lot of interesting I think there's metaphors. Good... Like, I mean, you could say it's the same as going out back to an anthill and spraying it with raid. You know, It's like, closer, it... right, than Iraq, I think, because I don't think there's a moment where Tim Robbins says, this is not an invasion, it's an extermination. And that's accurate, right? They have the no real intention of keeping any humans around. They only use them for fuel or fertilizer and that's it, you know? So I don't know. Like, yeah, it's interesting. They're going to use them for fertilizer. Why do they zap so many of them then? Like, is that just to like subjugate? Is that the, the beginning wave of murder just to, cause chaos and and the breakdown of communication and structure so that they can then harvest sure. them do you now think? here's what i i kind of want to talk more about than that I, because i think that's just like hey if we vaporize them we can get pg-13 as opposed to shoot them and blow them into bits but um although yeah there are dark moments like with the blood going in the face but they have been buried their ships here long before the human race showed up. Yes. So are they thinking, Hey, we're just going to kill dinosaurs at the yeah, time. You're right. Like, are what they was the point? before dinosaurs or after dinosaurs and before man? Like, I don't, I don't know, you know? Yeah. Was it, was it, before humans showed up or was it before humans were organized enough or was it before humans were like well it's like, certainly before we, raid, that that road was paved and you'd think right you'd see. right but i mean are we talking about millions of years ago or are we talking about hundreds of years ago thousands of years ago? i you know, i've or, got the feeling were we hunter closer. hunter gatherers at that point or so okay i don't know that this movie gets into relativity too much but if they're traveling from a long way away right and they're sending their ships, there's time dilation. And so it could take a million years for them to get here, but to the aliens, it's not that long, as long as they're on the ships or whatever. You're um, right. So they could have sent wave one to deposit the ships and then wave two to crew them. They could have launched those fairly closely together in terms of their own time frame, but then time dilation would cause that to space out further. I think also this is not the first time they've done this. It feels yeah. very organized. And they could be coming from an area like one of those planets from Interstellar where time just works at a different Well, every pace. planet does that. Yeah, yeah. 
but I mean like a dramatically different one yeah. where seven hours makes 12 years go by or whatever the hell. Uh, yeah. Interesting thought. Interesting thought. Well, I, 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 I kind of think deep them having done it before, I, you know, I don't think this is the first planet they've gone to and, you know, terraformed or whatever. They probably used up resources on several planets. And yeah, had which to makes me wonder ones. why they won't wear a goddamn uh, spacesuit. So, um, well, because maybe they never ran into this before, right? Uh, but at the same time, bacteria, t- like yeah, they got a bacteria, right? Like, uh, yeah. I mean, if they found a planet with life on it, you would think bacteria would be there, right? Like life has to come from somewhere, you know. You start small and you grow from there. Um, yeah, I was I, one of my questions was about. Uh, a comparison between this and, and M Night's signs, right? And I definitely like I, thought about signs a lot. I love signs. Me too. I really love it. And Review coming probably before the end of this year. Yeah, probably. So, uh, like, I never have had a problem with the aliens in the water, right? But I know have that, I. that is many people's number one criticism of that movie is these aliens are dumb. Why do they come a place covered in water, with covered in species that are made up from 98% water and not wear a space suit? So, like, my question he was like, are these aliens as dumb as those aliens? <laughs> or are any of them dumb? Or, you know, just any, any parallel? I you think draw these aliens the have to be dumber. Like, the other ones... Like the aliens from signs, sure, but maybe if they've evolved from some other resource other than water, because as far as uh, humans know, life, there needs to be water. And they used to have this idea that there has to be light in order for for life to survive. But that isn't true. They found life forms that don't need light at all down deep in the ocean where there's like the volcanic stuff is happening and there's life forms there so it could be they are uh, not carbon-based life forms but life forms that are not based around water and maybe didn't evolve in the same way or they could be something we've never seen before and in that way they come to this planet that is a water-based planet and as far as we know with the planets we can see uh with the science we have currently there are isn't a lot of water on these other planets. Maybe water is just this weird thing that's on this one blue marble and they've been terraforming all these other places that are kind of closer to what they've been doing. They get, you know, here and they run into water and they're like, Oh shit. You know, they've never, and it, it, it reacts with their chemistry or whatever in a different way. I'm fine with that in science. Science never bothered me. I love science. This, I think, the fact that they shot their things down however many million years ago and they didn't have, like, any sort of, hey, let's go down. Like, I just feel like the fact that the atmosphere as a whole is toxic is a problem. I I guess you could also say, like, if water is the problem with the aliens and signs, then why wouldn't humidity, humidity kill them? Like, if you come to Florida and you ride a bike in the morning, your eyebrows are saturated because yeah. there's just so much moisture in the air. So, I, I I mean, there's problems with that. I think there's less problems with the bio issues in this movie. But I also think they've had so much more time 
and it feels to me like there's so much more practice with this takeover that they should I, have a better plan. Yeah, I, they like, never even invented the wheel, right? That because uh, that was something I was thinking when I was watching this. Why are all their stuffed tripods like they only created things that look like them as their vehicles? Yes. Like if you look at uh, outside your house, there's cars and bikes, and none of they use wheels. They're not. None of this stuff looks like a human being walking around. We don't use ATSTs or whatever the hell they're called in Star Wars because they're really not feasible. They don't they're not the best way to travel. Not practical, yes. Yeah. And yet they haven't figured out. They know all the space flight shit, but they've never invented the wheel. Even to the point where they're down in the basement and they spin the wheel on the bike and it falls down and it freaks them out. That was I was thinking they had invented the wheel, and then I saw that moment. I'm like, these bitches have not invented the wheel. <laughs> like the first damn thing we came up with was fire and the wheel. You know, they're yeah. stupid. I think they are stupid. Well, it's uh, yeah. Have you read uh, any of Andy Weir's books? Um, the guy who wrote The Martian, The Martian, and Artemis. I have not. Okay, so there's the there's this newest one, and it's absolutely fascinating. And it's about basically uh, two cultures meeting human culture and an alien culture. And it's a guy, one guy on one ship and an alien on another ship, and they're trying to learn how to communicate. And at a certain point, the guy realizes that the alien culture never figured out relativity. They never had an Einstein, and they didn't know relativity. And it becomes it's just like this watershed moment of like, oh shit, they don't. They don't know, you know, yeah. and, and, and like it's perfectly possible that, you know, it's like when you're playing the video game Civilization and you just kind of happen to skip over pottery, you know, and this whole line of invention just gets closed off from you because you didn't do pottery. And and yeah, it's it's perfectly possible that, you know, that light bulb just never went off for them. Yeah. And now they're in these giant towering things you know they're all top heavy because nobody figured out oh i can roll this rock down a hill you know <laughs> like, it makes yeah, me wonder if their cool. world is nothing but cubes yeah right they have well, circular eyeballs i mean yeah it's like, similar to the way that that math is figured based on like we do it on a base 10 because we have 10 fingers right so they have three so are they at, or six are they on a base six you know yeah. like I mean, that's yeah. interesting to think about, but I think that that's p possibly the case. Their math is different, but you would still have a conversion rate and all that, and it would make sense. But not having the wheel, to me, is kind of hilarious. Yeah. Like, if they see us rolling around on our cars, and I wonder what they're thinking. Like, what the fuck? What the hell? <laughs> like, I don't know. So I do have a few more questions. You want to just roll right into them? Yeah. I mean, we got into the ending already, and... Uh, like I said, I found it to be not as because I knew it was coming. I was like, yeah, fine. I enjoyed, I guess I'll say this. I enjoyed this thoroughly. I think it's one of the most refreshing films we've watched recently. Like I felt like we kind of hit a slog of like, I really liked terminal, but you weren't so hot on it. But I was like, I, I felt like this was just a really good movie and it felt like the summer blockbuster needed to be, but also something that's rewatchable and thrilling and fun. It is slam bang fun. It's like yeah. Jurassic Park, you know, like yeah, it's that's slam bang way. fun. Because I didn't necessarily like the end of Jurassic Park. Oh, they just leave? What the hell? You know, but once you get over that 
and you watch the movie again and the characters are awesome. That's a great, a great comparison. I think that while it's not as good as Jurassic Park, I think it is that same format of like, just have fun. Just chill out for a minute, Jeff. Calm down, man. Watch a damn movie. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is this is way way off. But does War of the Worlds make a case for biological warfare? I, I mean, what's the case? Um, like, do well, we it, we have it's it awfully there? effective in this case? You know, like they're ultimately defeated by the natural biological you could say that it was like a uh an allergic reaction from the earth to these aliens right or or you know like the the planet's white blood cells attacking them to get rid of an invading force um but it it did make me think about like man-made biological warfare and so so i think i think there's a difference though so the big difference is is that this biological warfare doesn't affect humans like when we come up with biological warfare so how do i kill another person who's just like me and so the biological warfare we're coming up with would kill us as well whereas if you think of things like um the biological warfare that goes into like weed killers like uh, there's a fertilizer called weed and feed and it kills certain types of plants the invading plants but allows your grass to grow and it fertilizes it I think that that's kind of closer to what this is, right? It doesn't kill anything but the one thing it's supposed to, and it's yeah. not us. Whereas, like, biological warfare is like like the nuclear bomb. When we create it to kill other humans, it can be used against us. Like, you're not going to kill yourself with weed and feed, you know, or sprays that are meant to kill bugs but not harm humans. There's lots of non-toxic... Uh, one of the things we use in our house is diatomaceous powder, something like that. But it's it's this powder that you lay around that's perfectly fine, doesn't hurt humans. But when insects go across it, it actually cuts them up and kills them. So I think it makes an argument for the things we already have in place to kill things that aren't us. But boy, biological warfare. <laughs> yeah, on a, on a geopolitical level, I've always thought it was really stupid. Like I've never yeah. understood the the thought process that went into like oh well we can take a germ and we can put it over there and it'll kill all these people yeah and which then she like, comes to back me, like, in like two seconds you would be like well this is a really bad fucking idea you yeah. know like covid kind of proves the case like you can try to contain that all you want you can keep these people on this boat you can tell these people that they can't travel between these countries you can try to contain it however you want it's coming, you yeah. know, and and like uh, I know that they've been able to contain like Ebola outbreaks and things like that on a very small basis. A village has a uh, an Ebola outbreak and they're able to like quarantine it and and keep that from becoming like a full fledged outbreak. But I think that on a global level, especially now with just all the transportation systems that we have and, and just how willful people are to just do whatever the hell they want, yeah. you know, and, and how, uh, how just shitty our government is at battling something like that. You know, like it makes me feel like, oh, it's just the worst We're too small of ever. a world for biological warfare anymore. I mean, yeah. We're just, we, it, 
you'd have to have something that has its own natural sort of half-life that would kill itself before it could go beyond, a, a, you know, a certain level. But at that point, you just have gas, right? And you just napalm gas. You use their things that do your instant kill. And then, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a military man. Um, but, no, I don't. I, I don't think so. I think we have something similar in place already with the things that we use to kill other things, but not us. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to spin off topic a little bit here, but I wanted to talk about H.G. Wells and his War of the World Panic. Um, oh, or, yes. Or Orson, Orson Wells. I'm sorry. God, man. There's two, two Wells in here. play. Yeah, it's I was going to H.G. Wells, up. Orson Wells. And um, George Orwell mixed up like this yeah. is all the same thing. So, I mean, it's a pretty famous story. But in 1938, Orson Welles did a radio program. And at the beginning of the program, he said, this is a dramatization. We're going to do it in the form of newscasts as though, you know, like uh, aliens were really invading. Yada, yada. And then they proceed to kick it off, you know, and people all over the country missed the beginning of the program. And just heard the newscast as though the aliens were invading and uh, took it as truth. They thought that the newscasts were real and that aliens were really invading. And people flipped out and took to the streets. And, you know, it was a few moments of hysteria before it finally calmed down. And over the years, I think this story has probably gotten exaggerated a little bit as to the scope of how many people flipped out. But it enough that... You know, it has, it's something we know about now almost 100 years later, right? Do you think that uh, an Orson Welles-style panic is possible in this day and age? No. No. Snopes is too too good. You know, like, you because we have so many resources now to pull things from, like, that radio program, uh, first off, I agree. I don't think it's as overblown as it is it's made out to be historically. I don't think it was like the whole nation's like, holy shit. I think you had some crazy old people call into the radio station and bitch and complain. I don't honestly think it was that big a deal. I'm sure some people bought it, but whatever. But the thing is, is we have so many sources now. So if you're on CNN and it's like, oh shit, aliens, you can say, okay, well, I'll pop over to MSNBC or God forbid that other channel. And say, oh, okay, there's no fucking aliens. Like, if there were really aliens invading, it'd be on all the channels. Uh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, it, if they accidentally played War of the Worlds as a news segment, it wouldn't work still because you just change channels, go on Twitter, find some other way. It would require a mass conspiracy in order to make it actually work. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the difference. Like, Orson Welles was a mistake. Right. Like it was an error that, that people uh, took to be real, a lot right? of people think Orson Welles was very deliberate in what he did. <laughs> it's funny then. But so like the, the difference is that, you know, we're talking about something that is like flagrantly deliberate. And, and there's an argument to be made that uh, that that is happening right now, like online misinformation and Russian troll farms. And, you know, like giant swaths of our population are convinced of things that are provably not true <laughs> yeah so uh -huh. there is definitely that i i think the immediate mass hysteria of an alien invasion and flipping channels would debunk it pretty quick but then you get into like QAnon and flat earth and it's like come the fuck on you know <laughs> like uh 
so yeah yeah it's a different it, it is a more slow burn under the surface sort of conspiracy theories are still happening definitely it's it's definitely something that is of its time that that were the world's orson wells thing and you have to wonder about how like now you know we get conspiracies through other channels. And then at that time, you know, they just had this one moment where they believed something that was false was true. Prior to that, before like radio and newspapers, uh, God, but you could tell people freaking anything and they oh, would yeah. believe it. Right. Like, <laughs> like cigarettes are healthy. <laughs> I don't need uh, to so be. I, yeah, like, um, grew up on old time radio, which is why I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the Orson Welles, broadcast because i've heard it several times um but the thing about old time radio and you can find these on various podcast feeds but they always they leave the commercials in which i appreciate because they're the old commercials and they're really fun to listen to um but they can say whatever the fuck they want like it's the smoother cigarette it's the healthy cigarette you know like they don't (laughs) have to answer to anyone like they could just make shit up yeah Put cocaine in the Robitussin. It's good yeah. for you. Now yeah, it's with delicious fine. cocaine. <laughs> they give you that extra bump you need, like a bump. But yeah, I, I definitely having, and they're, none of the systems are perfect, but having some sort of system in place to keep people from just outright lying to you is nice. Yeah, I, I think there are there are moments where there can be confusion and conflicting reports and it uh, and, uh, this is just popping in my head right now but 9-11 is a perfect example of that mm-hmm. like uh, during 9-11 like the internet existed and there was c- cable and satellite tv and so on and so forth but there was a period of about 12 to 18 hours there where that system kind of broke down and everybody was just like what the hell is happening you right. know and, and so there can be moments like that when you know the the systems that we have in place break down and there can also be like natural disaster type moments and i'm thinking in terms of like hurricane katrina where just due to the scope of the disaster entire populations are isolated and can't access that information and i think during those situations like it'd be rife for rumors and untruths and you know just basically mass confusion you know um because the lines of communication are cut in and out um but again isolated situations definitely not on a global scale unless we get like a krakatoa volcano explosion that impacts the entire planet right you know that's probably the only way we could get that on a global scale okay so last last thing here before we wrap it up unbelievably and i still find this just jaw-dropping in general and shocking that it's not a bigger deal uh uh, the the United States government over the last five years or so has slowly opened the kimono and said, okay, yeah, UFOs are real. Like, yeah, we got nothing. We have no explanation for this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's real. We've put together some committees to study it. Here's a bunch of footage. Here you go, like, from this jet and that jet. And here's all this stuff. And here's recordings of people seeing them. And we're just going to just just come right out with it and say we don't know what's going on right which to me is just brain melting 
right? But I still wake up in the morning and go about my day and life continues as it always has. You know, like this is just something that is now part of our reality. There are UFOs. I look out the window of the airplane now when I'm flying. Um, Okay, so at the beginning of this, you get the Morgan Freeman uh, speech about how humans go about their worldly concerns without the idea that they were being watched, you know, for insidious purposes. Taking the insidious purposes out, do you think there's a possibility that humanity is being studied by aliens right now? I tend to err on the side of no. I just think, like, um, the biological lottery that has to take place for Earth to work and have an ecosystem is so astronomical. And then you have it happen again somewhere else. And they've evolved enough to travel whatever ridiculous amount of time. But again, I can only think with the science that we've developed and know. I personally don't think so. To be honest, I just, I like, I if there is other intelligent life... Are we that confident they've developed? So, like, the odds are there'd have to be a planet that sustains life. That life has grown in intelligence as much or more than humans. They'd have to be more than humans have. And we look around our own planet that sustains life, and yet we are the only sentient beings that we know of. I mean, dolphins don't have ships, but... That like all other animals, don't they travel on their own things? I mean, there are ants that build boats out of themselves, but just nobody else with opposable thumbs. Let's say okay, sure. So we won that lottery, and we got opposable thumbs. But I don't think I think we would have figured out a way to make this work without. Um, I don't know. I just think that the odds are so astronomical for the perfect situation that I just can't. I can't really fathom it. I, I, it's hard for me to say, yeah, for, I, I think that's a high likelihood. I just don't. I think the odds are you, not in favor of that. Then do you like fall on the side of these are just military craft that are being tested by other cultures or. It could be some dude in his backyard. I don't know. Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, to be honest, I haven't seen the pictures you're talking about. Um, I think it is entirely possible that some shit gets seen and our atmosphere acts weird and light refracts in weird ways. So who knows? Like maybe, but I just don't, I I just, it's hard for me to say that that's the case. I'm more of a, when I see it, I'll believe it on that matter. I just, that's, that's fair. That's fair. I think of like, so I was, uh, my buddy called me the other day. He's like, listen, Jeff, I know you don't play the lottery, but it's at $2 billion. You got to buy a ticket. And I went to the store, got in line. There's several people buying tickets and I'm standing there and I think, okay, it's two bucks or five bucks or however much. And the odds are one in however many million. And then I think about the fact that at work they do drawings with hundreds of entries and I never win. 
and then I go and I'm in line. I'm like, why am I going to spend two dollars on these odds? I'm not going to win. I'm just not. And those odds are way closer than the odds that there is alien life. I'm not saying there isn't alien life, but there's odds that there's alien life sustainable enough and intelligent enough to build communication or ships that can actually find us in a universe that is not just 360 degrees, but spherically, existentially growing outside, you know, like the direction they'd have to go to find us. Those odds are astronomical. And then that the fact that they would find us and then have the technology to monitor us. and pre- They're so crazy. The odds are so insane that that's why I don't think it's the case. I think that's uh, that's a strong case. You've made a strong case. I disagree. Okay. But <laughs> you've, made a, you've made a strong case. And, and I, I disagree, you know, for no good provable reason at all. It's just because I like to think of it sure. as the other way. That's like, good with me, right? Yeah. Like, I, I like I, to think that Loch Ness exists. The Loch Ness Monster. I, I, I kind of think that's fun. Like, you can't really see in the water. That'd be fun if there were a dinosaur in there. Probably not, though. Yeah, it's all part of my existential dread, really. Like, I I kind of feel, if you ask me really deep down inside, I kind of feel like humanity is in its last days. And I kind of feel like this spate of UFOs is uh, uh, basically uh, anthropological teams coming to watch a civilization that's about to get wiped out by the Great Filter. Are you familiar with the Great Filter? No. So the great filter is a theory darker thoughts than me. Scientists have put forward uh, that basically says like the reason we haven't been able to identify any other uh, civilizations in the like observable universe is because of the great filter. And the great filter states that when a civilization reaches a certain point of development, they hit a point where they either destroy their own ecosphere or kill themselves in one way or another, whether it be warfare or by poisoning themselves or whatever. And there's this tipping point that civilizations hit and the vast majority of them just collapse after that. And uh, so I've, I've often considered that any UFO sightings and and the increased frequency of them over the last, you know, 20 years or whatever uh, is essentially more and more, uh, civilizations coming to watch one as it winds down. As it, I'm as fine it with it. Bring on the collapse. alien overlords. That's my thing. We're screwing this up so bad. Someone was like, "You sure?" Oh, we talked about this before with the robot dog with the machine gun, and I'm like, "Bring on the robotic oh, overlords!" <laughs> like, God, did you did you see the thing, the San Francisco story this week that no. San Francisco City Council approved? Uh, murder robots they Uh, basically approved of robots that can go into situations where the police can't solve them and just explode uh, that's not what i mean i mean off off topic off topic but yeah 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 i'm with you like at this point i i believe you're right like we have screwed this up so badly that if aliens did come swoop in and be like, all right, you just how about how about I'm Ray and you're Robbie and I'm gonna give you a little guidance. 
and we're going to like get you through this. And, you know, I, I have half a feeling that, you know, people would be like, we have to vote. All right, we voted. Fuck you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Get out of here. Them. Shoot nukes at them. <laughs> Ain't no Adeline coming down here and tell me what to do. I don't know why I did a Southern accent. Oh, yeah, Take whatever know. commentary out of that that you would. But, well, the part of the other problem is that we think that aliens would be pe- like you either get the this type of alien where it's this crazy invasion alien we just blow it up and take what we want which is very european of them or you get the higher you know close encounters ones where there's higher it's peaceful and we're just learning from each other and i think that there's probably nations and like i much like Malcolm says life finds a way, but also I think life follows a pattern, you know, <laughs> like there'll still be factions and all that crap. And you'd have one nation who's like, we found this earth. We're going to help them, you know, and try to learn from them and preserve their life. But there's another one that's like, blow them up. We can make cars out of it. You get know, the water, get the water. Yeah, get yeah. the water. Exactly. So that's funny. Well, all right. On, on that note, that's that's about all I have. That, so I think we're that, probably OK to wrap. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was fun. So, uh, next episode we're gonna watch Munich, a film I have not seen, and and honestly, from here on out, with the exception of like Crystal Skull and Ready Player One, I haven't seen any of this crap. I've seen a lot of them, but Munich is also one I have not seen. So I am uh, very excited to well, check it out. Well, it, it's like it's like it's like Back to the Future Three. Like it's a little gift, you know. Like here's this the Spielberg I'm, film I haven't seen, you know. Yep, there's a lot of them that I haven't seen. So we'll we'll get into that. But I also want to have a, a little announcement here. I have another podcast project launching at the end of January. It is called the 10-Week Professional Wrestling Crash Course, where I teach your friend and mine, Elliot, about professional wrestling. I teach him terminology. I show him matches. We talk about what it all means. And my hope is that he will become a wrestling fan at the end of it. So you can find that in your favorite podcast app, 10 week professional or 10 week pro wrestling crash course, wherever you that's get your excellent. podcast. I, I look forward to that. Elliot is good fun. And, uh, and that's why I will listen to it. Cause I am also not a wrestling fan. So Perfect. I think that'll be, I, that'll I, be, I'm your ins- audience. Exactly. My intention is it's for anyone who likes wrestling or just doesn't like wrestling or not doesn't like wrestling. Co- covers everybody yeah, right? yeah wrestling fans on. and non-wrestling fans that's just everybody gets it give it a listen. listen i think you'll have fun you can also check out the movie draft house wherever you get your podcast for more movie reviews uh eric is at eric underscore hotter on twitter you can check out gamingnexus.com for his gaming reviews as well as his youtube channel eric hotter right that's right okay well we'll see you guys in two weeks thanks y'all bye